listening to the Lima Community Church Podcast. The following was recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. Well, good morning again. Great to be with you all today. Thank you for being here to worship with us at Lima Community. Earlier this week, my dad turned 79. Yeah, wow. And uh, interestingly, my dad and mom would normally be at their church that they've attended for many, many years today, but they're in quarantine because my dad's recovering from COVID and uh, that means that they're watching. So, <laughs> hi mom and dad. Over the course of my life, I've, had, uh, I've just been blessed to have a great relationship with my dad. I've known my dad in many, uh, many different roles. I've known him as many things. I've known him as my dad, you know, the dad to my sister and to me. I've known him as the husband to my sweet mom. In more recent days, I've gotten to know him as grandfather, as what we call papa at our house to our boys. And of course, he's had many other roles as well. For most of his working life, my dad was a school teacher. Many people who know my dad, including some right here in Lima, uh, know my dad as a barber shopper, a barbershop quartet singer and chorus singer. And another role that my dad played was the minister of music. That was his title at a little Nazarene church in Ashland, Kentucky, where I grew up. In fact, my dad started that role in 1969 and served in that role until the end of 2021. That's 52 years of service. That's pretty remarkable. And when your dad is a minister of music for 52 years, do you know what happens? You get to know all the songs, all of them. Whatever songs there were, I knew those songs. The, uh, the old Nazarene hymnal was called Worship in Song. Some of you may remember that one. And uh, I can't do this anymore. It's been too many years. But I used to be able to play this little game where like if you would say Amazing Grace, I could say 212. It was like that. I knew that much you know, of what all those songs. So if there was a song that the church sang in the 80s or the 90s, my dad led it and I knew it. Like that was just how it went. And so I was thinking about in our Sunday school stories that this kind of goes along with it. So I thought we'd play a little game, do a little trivia, a little old church music trivia. Can we do that today? So I'm gonna need your help. I'm gonna give you the start of a line and I wanna see if you can finish the line, all right? Okay, this first one, we actually missed, thanks to Miss Pam, we busted this one out just a couple of months ago in a family service. So you'll probably know this one. Uh, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. That was what we sang every baptism Sunday at Plaza Church of the Nazarene growing up. Uh, Pastor Jonathan mentioned a little bit ago how we used to sing about the blood. And actually, if, you, if you're a real church music nerd, you know that this, that song we sang in the bridge, they were doing kind of a callback to an older song about the blood. So let's see if you know this one. There is power, power, wonder working power. Did you see that phrase in that bridge that we sang? Wonder working power in the, of the, yeah, you guys are good. Uh, this is one that I used to always love the tune of. Uh, there's a new name written down in, and it's, oh yes, it's, yeah, that's right. It's mine, oh yes, it's mine. Uh, how about this one? Soon and very soon. 
We are going to meet the king. We used to say, soon and very soon, we are going to Dairy King. <laughs> All right, last, here's the last one. I stand amazed in the presence of... Yes, right? Come on, people. Now, this is Lima Community Church of the Nazarene. These are the words of the song. I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene. Now, listen. I, I was a kid, and I just didn't get it. Now, if Jesus was a Nazarene, what are all these other clowns doing? Like, why are there... Why are they bothering with all these other denominations? Jesus was a Nazarene, then it seemed pretty clear to me. If that was what Jesus was, then that's what I was gonna be too. I was gonna be Nazarene. And then I started to hear about this guy, John the Baptist. Yeah, think about it for a second. I mean, honestly, this made it even more clear. It's like Jesus, Nazarene, John, Baptist. I'm going to be with Jesus. Like, I don't, and, and then you couple that with the fact that I grew up in the South where there's like a hundred times more Baptists than Nazarenes. And this is all very confusing to me. Like, why are all you people choosing Baptist when Jesus was, I just, I didn't quite, I didn't quite get it. So this sermon today is not about how great it is to be Nazarene. Although I'm partial to being Nazarene, I love, I love our church, I love our denomination, I do think it's pretty great, but instead we're actually going to talk about the other guy. We're going to talk about John the Baptist today. So uh, I hope you were here last week for our celebration of Christmas in July. I asked if we could have Christmas in August today and it got shot down as, uh, as Pastor Jonathan referenced, you know, we gotta get back. Yeah, they're singing Christmas music in July. So if you, if you weren't here last week, I do wanna encourage you to go back and watch, not for the Christmas music, although that was fun, but for the great message that Miss Pam preached on Mary and shedding some new light on Mary, helping us maybe learn some new things about her. One of the things that Pam highlighted that I loved is that when Mary was scared and when she was unsure of the plan that was unfolding in her life, God's plan, she went to her relative, to Elizabeth. And she was able to do that because her family had nurtured and cultivated that kind of environment where she could do that when she was in need. And so when Mary was in that circumstance, she knew she could go visit Elizabeth. We're going to look at just a brief part of that passage from last week again today in Luke chapter one. It says, in those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leaped in her womb. And that baby, the baby who leaped in Elizabeth's womb when Mary visited with Jesus in her womb, that baby would not be named Zechariah, even though all the family members thought, why aren't you naming him Zechariah after his father? You see, an angel had visited Zechariah and had said the child's name should be John. And so that, that little baby that jumped in Elizabeth's womb, that was the baby who would grow up to become the person we know as John the Baptist. And that's who we're gonna study a little bit today. We're, we're mostly gonna study a, a passage in Matthew, but 
Uh, John's story, parts of John's story are in all four gospels. And when you, when you piece together the different narratives, you, you see a picture of a humble prophet who had a significant following, but who was constantly pointing people not to himself, but to the Messiah who was to come. So today we're gonna spend some time with John the Baptist and we're gonna see if we can learn some things from him even though he was not Nazarene. So we'll see how that goes. Now you might notice that I said John the Baptist was a prophet. Most of the time when we think of prophets, our minds go to the Old Testament. We think about all those many, many prophets in the Old Testament. It's not always the case in scripture, but uh, that's our primary understanding of who the prophets were. And uh, uh, what a prophet is, is a person who sees something God has revealed to them and then is gifted to communicate that message to a specific audience. And usually in our scripture, that audience is the Israelite people, the the people uh, of Jewish descent. And just like the prophets who are featured in the Old Testament, John the Baptist had a difficult message to share with the Jewish people of Jesus's day, a message that included divine judgment if the people did not repent and change their behavior. Now you may think, I'm not sure if I agree with you that John was a prophet. And I think that the text actually has some good evidence that he was. I want you to look at just one verse in Luke chapter three with me. This little verse says, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And again, this doesn't seem really like much, but the way that it's phrased is is very important. Many of the Old Testament prophets use the same kind of terminology in describing the the ministry and the call of the prophet. And so if we were to flip through the, the pages of the Old Testament, we would find very similar wording to this in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Hosea and in other prophets as well. And we've got to remember that when Luke was writing his gospel, he had access to those prophets. Remember that our Old Testament was Luke's scripture too. And so Luke, if he wanted to identify John the Baptist as a prophet, he would know exactly how to do it. And it's to describe him this way. It's to begin the description of his ministry with this sort of device. And that's what Luke did, knowing that his audience would recognize that this is his way of identifying John as a prophet. What was the message of the Old Testament prophets? Well, the, the message of the Old Testament prophets is, uh, is broad, and it's obviously a lot more than we can tackle in the little bit of time we have left this morning. But if we were to, to choose one of the themes, one of the main themes of the Old Testament prophets, I think it's fair to say that their message to the people of Israel was, your relationship with God will be restored, or put another way, your God will return to you when you repent and when you seek him with all your heart. I want you to have that message in the back of your mind today as we look at today's passage in the gospel of Matthew. This is from Matthew chapter three, 
verses 1 through 12. It says, In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. This is the one of whom the prophet Isaiah spoke when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. Now, John wore clothing of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. I'm wearing a leather belt today in honor of John. And his food was locusts and wild honey. I am not eating locusts today in honor of John. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region around the Jordan were going out to him and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance, but the one who is coming after me is more powerful than I, and I am not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and will gather his wheat into the granary, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist's message, which God has given to him, is very similar to the message of the Old Testament prophets. It's a simple message, repent. Matthew tells us here that John was the one who was prophesied in Isaiah chapter 40. Often we think of Jesus being the only one who's prophesied in the Old Testament, but here we have John the Baptist who Matthew says explicitly was foretold years before the passage that says, the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Just like the Old Testament prophets John the Baptist wants to help God's people return to a right relationship with God. John's purpose is to pave the way, to prepare the way for the King, the Messiah, to come. And John knows that in order to prepare the way for the Messiah, the people must repent of their sins. So the Old Testament prophets We're preparing the way for God by encouraging the people to repent. And that's exactly what John the Baptist was doing as well. Preparing the way by encouraging the people to repent. Now, while while John is preaching his message of repentance, the, the scripture tells us that many came from the region around and went out to him and confessed their sins and were baptized by him in the Jordan. But then we have this interesting scene where the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and John scolded them for coming. Let's look at this just few verses again. It says, but when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming for his baptism, he said to them, you brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? 
Therefore, bear fruit worthy of repentance and do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our ancestor. For I tell you, God is able, to, able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. Even now, the ax is lying at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. It seems a little strange that these people who come seeking baptism are reprimanded so strongly by John the Baptist. You brood of vipers, he says. Let's see if we can figure out what's behind that. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were distinct groups of Jewish religious leaders two groups of of leaders Jesus would later encounter and challenge uh, often and significantly. And so when John the Baptist saw the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming, he, he must have already had some interaction, some knowledge of who they were. And, and this caused him to be skeptical of their motives for coming. If you'll remember the very first word of his, me- his uh, message in this passage, it is repent. And what the passage says is that many who came from the region were doing just that. They were coming for baptism and they were repenting and confessing their sins. But John seems to be concerned that the Pharisees and the Sadducees aren't as interested in repentance as they are in being baptized to escape the coming wrath that's mentioned in verse seven. John the Baptist talks about this wrath. He he seems to be indicating that when the Messiah comes, the one for whom John is preparing the way, that there will be wrath coming as well. There will be judgment coming with him. And what John the Baptist is afraid is happening here is that these religious leaders are coming to be baptized so that when the wrath and the judgment come, they can say, hey, we're, we're in the clear. We're good. We've, we've been baptized. We checked that box. And, and, and then their hope would be that the wrath would move on past them. The judgment would move on past them to find someone who had not been baptized. And John the Baptist says, no, not so fast. He says, he says that that baptism is not itself what would save them. Instead, what verse eight says is you must bear fruit worthy of repentance. In other words, your life must show that your baptism meant something. John the Baptist was watching for changed behavior, for Lives that bore the evidence of true repentance. You see, repentance means a complete and lasting change of heart and life and behavior. And John the Baptist knew that for him to successfully prepare the way for Jesus, the people's lives had to actually change. There had to be that authentic repentance in order for the coming king and the coming kingdom to be prepared. 
Pharisees and the Sadducees are no dummies. John the Baptist is prepared for their other excuse as well. He says, just like I have been baptized is not a sufficient stance to take, it's also not sufficient to just say Abraham is our ancestor. You see, these religious leaders, they were working hard to hedge their bets. They wanted to make sure that all their bases were covered. And so what they were thinking was, let's get baptized to make sure that we can avoid whatever this wrath is that is to come. But just in case that doesn't work for some reason or, or you know, it's, it, maybe it's not quite what it seems, we don't really have to worry that much because after all, we are part of Abraham's family and God made a covenant with Abraham. So we must be good to go. God, God won't mess with us. And unfortunately for them, John the Baptist has a different message uh, in that vein as well. He says, no, simply being Abraham's descendant doesn't protect you from this wrath. In fact, what John the Baptist says is quite amazing. He says, our God is actually so sovereign, so creative, so powerful that he can take the rocks you're standing on and form them into descendants of Abraham. So all of this false security that the Pharisees and the Sadducees are, are holding on to, John just, just clears it all out. So what does a passage like this mean for, for you and for me today? I know there are parallels between us and the Pharisees and Sadducees of Jesus's day. I'm also not terribly interested in calling you a brood of vipers this morning. <laughs> in fact, as I studied this week, one of the commentators I read said, said this, he addressed this very specifically. He said, the, the preacher should not use John the Baptist's message to launch attacks on the congregation without redemptive content. Because he said, the primary aim after all is to save the wheat, it's not to burn the chaff. It's a good thing for us to remember. So as we consider today whether we might be holding on to false security, I also want us to remember that it was Jesus's desire that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance and be saved. The Pharisees and Sadducees wanted to be baptized to escape the coming wrath. I'm afraid this isn't very different than how many today continue to understand repentance and salvation and baptism. I've used this little phrase that I'm, I'm about to use when I've taught our church membership class. So many of you have uh, likely heard me say this phrase before, but growing up, I sort of understood salvation as, as what I call cosmic fire insurance. It seemed to me then that the primary reason to seek salvation was to avoid going to hell. And I, I wanna just go on the record and say that I still would like to avoid going to hell in case there's any confusion. But my sense... My sense is that I'm not the only one of my generation or of maybe surrounding generations 
who grew up with this sort of understanding. I think this idea of repentance as cosmic fire insurance has actually had a significant impact on the church, the capital C church over the last few decades because we have, have broadly understood it so much this way, it has actually impacted the way we interpret scripture. It's impacted the things that we teach and preach and sing in our churches. And, and this understanding of salvation, this understanding of repentance has caused many Christians today to shift our entire focus to getting someone to pray a prayer and getting that person baptized while not being concerned even a little bit with whether new converts bear fruit worthy of repentance. John the Baptist didn't like this model of repentance, of salvation, and we shouldn't either because it's not a biblical understanding of what it means to repent and to be saved. Again, I, I wanna communicate clearly here. I believe that salvation and repentance and baptism are important scriptural ideas that we ought to care about. I just don't want us like the Pharisees and Sadducees in this story, to feel that because I once said a prayer and because I once got baptized, I don't have to worry about bearing good fruit. Because the rest of the passage makes it clear, unless there is authentic repentance, lasting behavior change, unless your life bears the kind of fruit God is seeking, there is an ax waiting. There is a fire, a winnowing fork. There are some things we say as pastors that are no fun to say. This is one of those. Unless there is authentic repentance, lasting heart change, Unless your life bears the kind of fruit God seeks, there is an ax, a fire, a winnowing fork. What the passage says is that every tree that does not bear good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. The Old Testament prophets had a specific role and a specific assignment. The Old Testament prophets were to prepare the way for a right relationship with God, uh, between God and the people. They were preparing the people for a restored relationship with God. John the Baptist had a specific role and a specific assignment. John the Baptist was preparing the way for Jesus, the Messiah, the King of this coming kingdom. Today, we, we wait again for the coming of that king. The king who will establish his reign and his kingdom and who will restore his creation to the way he intended for it to be. 
it might be hard to look around us at the world today and say the kingdom of heaven is near. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if, you, if you're in a place where you just can't say that, if you look at the trouble of the world around us and say, I can't, I can't say the kingdom of heaven is near, I hope that we can agree on this. The kingdom of God is coming. It's coming. It may not feel very near, but the kingdom of God is coming. And just like the Old Testament prophets had a job to do to prepare for a right relationship with God. And just like John the Baptist had a job to do to prepare the way for the coming king. My question for us today is if we believe the kingdom is coming, then what must we do to prepare? What must we do to make a straight path for the coming king to walk on in our lives, in our homes, in our church, in our community? What must we do to prepare the way? Maybe there are trees in your life that need to be pruned. Maybe there are trees in your life that the ax just needs to be taken to. Maybe there are things of which, from which we need to repent. What do you need to do today to prepare the way for the work Jesus wants to do in your life? Would you bow your heads? I wanna give you just a minute of silence to reflect on that question. What do you need to do today to prepare for the work Jesus wants to do in your life. Father, we come today with our hearts open. We come collectively as a community with our hearts open, inviting you to reveal to us that from which we may need to repent. Lord, I pray that the journey that we are on in our lives would be a, a journey where we are bearing more and more good fruit for your kingdom. I pray this will be true of our church community. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Would you stand with me this morning? I wanna thank you all for being here today. Uh, parting, parting thought for this week. This same passage that we read in Matthew today appears in Luke, and it's got, it's got Luke's take on it. And we get a little bit more of the interaction between the crowd and John in Luke. We get a little, a little bit more of, of what the crowd has to say to John the Baptist. And, and they ask a great question in Luke 3.10. The question the crowd asks in response to John's message is, what then should we do? You know what? I hope that's the question I ask every time I'm confronted with the truth of God's word. What, what then should I do? 
And so that's my prayer for us this week, that we would willingly wrestle with that question, with what you have heard today, what then should we do? What should our response be to the challenge that we have had from the Spirit in our lives today? As you go this week, what then should you do to bring God's kingdom around you? God bless you as you go. Thank you so much for being here today. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday. Thank you for listening. For more information about our church, visit limacommunitychurch.com.